Welcome to the New Money Habits Podcast, where we talk about how to create a better plan for your money so you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. Here are your hosts, Sarah Jones and Nino Villa. Welcome back, Budgeteers. Coach Nino Villa here alongside of me, as always, my partner on the airways, Sarah Jones. And we have a special guest today with us. Maria Casillas is here to talk a little bit about the therapeutic approach to personal finances. So Maria is one of the co-founding partners at New Money Habits, and she puts the habits in New Money Habits, for sure. (laughs) Hi, Maria. Hi, Nino. Hi, Sarah. Good to be here with you today. Hello, hello. (laughs) I'm just wondering, who puts the money into New Money Habits, Nino? Uh, that would be me, because right? I'm always about the dollars and the cents, and let's just get down to brass tacks. Happy to put the habits into new money habits. Thanks for having me on your show today, guys. Well, thank you for being with we're, us. Yeah, I was just going to say we're so happy that you're here, and um, I'm particularly happy because um, this whole side of finances and who we are is um, super interesting to me. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Me too. I love the, I just, I love the, the, all the nuances and the fact that you can never really know everything behind the human behavior, right? We, we can't, we can never pin it all down. And so it's always, I'm always learning. I'm always fascinated and always asking new questions. And so um, I hope that no one who tunes in today thinks that they're going to have all the answers when they're done listening to this episode, but I really think that we're going to have some fun conversations about just what are some things that we can think about when we're talking and working with individuals, um, especially, you know, the budgeteers who are listening in when you're doing something and you're looking at how you're behaving with money, what are some ways that we can kind of spin that and just kind of dig a little bit deeper? So I'm excited about it too. Yeah, and real quick, um, for all of our listeners out there, you, you may have heard on recent episodes, we talked about um, how Maria's, we, we credit Maria for some of the different um, terms that we use for different things. So instead of having an emergency fund, having a peace of mind fund, we recently talked about having an opportunity fund. And so, uh, Maria, if you wouldn't mind taking a few moments just to kind of introduce yourself and, and give a little bit more color to that very thing about really kind of focusing in on like the behavior and and just mindset stuff, all of that stuff that you kind of bring to the table. Yeah, sure. So as this Nino said, my name is Maria Casillas. I've been officially financial coaching for about six, seven years now. Uh, but before that, I was actually a counselor. And so that's where a lot of this whole therapeutic approach to money comes from for me. I went and got my master's degree specifically in substance abuse counseling. And my undergrad was in psychology and criminology. I also had a minor in Spanish, but please don't ask me to actually speak that because um, actually I majored in Spanish, but you would never know. So, <laughs> so we won't go down that route. Um, but I've just always, always like from the time I can remember been very fascinated with humans and human behaviors and the human mind and why we do what we do. And so uh, it, it just kind of, felt right to go into that field as I was graduating high school and going into college. And then while I was in college, I just kind of befriended some recovering addicts and was taken into their world a little bit and just kind of I was enamored, I think, with how they could take something that was so 
strangling, I think, and be able to overcome a lot of those obstacles. And so I, when I went for my master's degree, I thought, what is it that I really want to do with this? And um, even though I had never gone that down that path myself, it just felt like the right thing to do. And so that's when I went into um, substance abuse counseling. I did that along with some mental health counseling for a few years before I had my children and took on the vocation of motherhood a little bit more seriously. And I put the other stuff on the back burner. And then we had a bunch of debt and I won't bore you with our whole debt-free journey story and all of that. But as I was coming out of that, I thought, you know what, I really want to do this with people because there were so many similarities between how we behave with money and how people had to just change their lifestyle, change their mindset, change all of their habits when it came to addiction. And so I've just from the very get-go been applying a lot of the same understanding, a lot of the same uh, tactics that I was using, you know, 12, 14 years ago, trying not to date myself too too accurately here, uh, but to do that with people and their money. And it, the results have just been really fascinating uh, because sometimes it's, they're like, I've never seen anybody do anything like this before. And I just like to use color. I like to really pay attention to the words that we're using. And I will admit that when I first started coaching, I was very much being kind of a copycat of some guru that's been that's out there already and it didn't feel right to me and the reason it didn't feel right is because I knew better I knew I already had this toolbox of tools that I knew would be very very effective and it fit me more and it allowed me to work with these individuals in a different way and when I was willing to finally just let go of like who I thought I was supposed to be for people and really embraced who I knew I was meant to be for them then it just it absolutely changed how people were able to interact with me. So that's that's a little bit about me and how I came to do what I do with financial coaching. Well, Can I jump in and say that? that yeah, and, and I was just going to say that I, I wrote down, you know, feel right, because I talk about that so much, like checking in with ourselves. and And I think that that can very much be applied to how our spending habits, what are we currently doing, right? If we're not really in alignment, then we're not going to feel right about things, right? We're going to have mm -hmm. these natural, um, these gut reactions when we're spending in, in ways that we don't feel good about or our partners, we're not communicating very well, right, with, with our money. And so I love that you are bringing that out and bringing it to light, because it's something that I don't think that most of us are taught to do is to really look mm. at how do we feel when we're doing these things. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. So Maria, I know for me, uh, one of the things that, or one of the areas in my coaching of clients you've been able to kind of help me illuminate is, you know, I, I'm usually more of the brass tacks. Let's just kind of roll up our sleeves and let, we know what's going to work, so let's just do what we know is going to work. Um, but I've had to learn over the years that, you know, you don't reach everybody that way. Um, and sometimes you need to really understand what's motivating somebody or what drives somebody to behave the, the way they do. So if you could just kind of bring some color to that, um, you know, what like what is it about like either what we did learn about money or what we didn't learn about money that causes people to behave the way they do. Yeah, I, I'd be happy to answer that question. Before I do, though, I'd like to just talk real quick to your point about, you know, really just 
that we know what works. And if I could bring in a quick analogy, just this happened just a couple of days ago. My husband brought his car in for an oil change. And while they were there, they said, oh, we see a leak. And here's what is creating that leak. And I said, here's how much it's going to cost. Here's how we're going to you know, plan to take care of it. So of course he called me <laughs> to get permission for that, which kind of cracked me up a little bit. I'm like, you can make that decision. It's okay. <laughs> but in the meantime, they hoisted the car up, looked underneath, and realized that that leak was not coming from the in, from the place that they thought that it was coming. And in fact, they had to do an entire search underneath that car to determine where it was coming from, and they never did find out. And they basically said, yeah, just keep an eye on it. We have no idea where it's coming from. And I use that analogy because they were so sure that they knew based on the location of that leak, based on what they've seen in the past from this particular vehicle and so on and so forth. And yet when they took a look underneath what was really going on, they're like, yeah, we don't got a clue. And now you just kind of kind of keep an eye on it and see what's happening. I think that that's what I realized when, when I went all, you know, I'm just, I was like, yes, I can do this and I'm going to do this particular program in this particular way because we know what works. And it wasn't that it didn't work with everybody. It's that that wasn't always the problem for people. And so it wasn't until we took them, I didn't like literally hoist them up, right? But we did take a look underneath, if you will, and figure out where is this leak coming from or where, why are they doing what they're doing? And sometimes it was easy to kind of detect with just a few questions. And sometimes you would take an entire hour, two hours, three weeks, two months to try to dig and finally just go, yeah, I have no idea where this is coming from, but let's just keep an eye on it. And when it leaks again, let's revisit and just do a giant trial and error. So I just want to let you know that that's where a lot of this comes from. And, and the, actually the answer to your question is going to come from that as well. Uh, when you talk about how do we, uh, where does some of this come from? Well, you know, most of us are at least 18 years old listening to this podcast, maybe a few who are older. Uh, I'm mean, sorry, younger, but chances are you've had at least a decade under your belt of lessons of learning, of uh, habits, trial and error. And a lot of times you don't know where stuff comes from. And so it would be impossible to be able to unpack everything. But what we do try to figure out is where are some of those points in your life where you had like a, a trajectory change, you know? Um, there's a doctor named Dr. Klontz, Brad Klontz is his name. He does a lot of uh, just financial therapy in general. And while I've never done any sort of certification through him or anything like that, I've always been very drawn to his work because it's so much in alignment with what I already know therapeutically and that he then applies it to money. So um, one of the things he talks about is financial flashpoints. I don't even think it's he that coined it. Uh, I think it might have been his father or somebody who did the work before him. Uh, but that's what they call, that's what they term the uh, those points in our lives where it makes a really big impact on what we think about money or how we feel about people who have money, for example. Um, I'd love to tell you a story if I could. Um, this is not my story. It's actually one that came down through the ranks. Um, I do believe it started with Klons. 
Lord knows I'm going to probably screw it up a little bit. Um, so <laughs> it's just don't, don't put it out as a direct quote. Uh, but it goes a lot or something like this, that there was a young boy, and this was way back in the day when doctors still did house calls. So, you know, we're talking decades ago. Uh, but there was a young boy who was playing in his yard, and his dad was outside playing ball with him. And all of a sudden, this gorgeous car, let's just call it a Corvette, pulls into the driveway, and out comes this doctor. And the doctor walks up to the father, and he can't hear anything. The kid can't hear anything yet, but the doctor and the father, they're, they're having this conversation. And all of a sudden, the father raises his voice and he says something to the effect of, you know, all of you people with money, all you do is care about money. You don't even care about individuals, you know, get the hell out of my driveway. And he slams, you know, his car door and just storms off. Again, I'm definitely paraphrasing. <laughs> now the kid, he hears that and he thinks, well, these these rich people, all they care about is money. They don't care about people. Well, the backstory there is that that couple had just had a baby. So it would be the baby sister of this young boy. And the baby had passed away prior to leaving the hospital. But even though the baby was not going home with them, all of the doctor bills were. And they were behind on those bills. And that doctor had come into the driveway to collect on that bill. So you can imagine how the father was feeling when all of that happened. And you can see where his statement would, of frustration would have come from. But his young son was watching. And that created a flashpoint for that little boy, thinking that everybody who's after money, anybody who tries to make a profit, is now some careless person who doesn't care about a young child who had just passed away. So as that child grew up, any opportunity that he had to bring money into his life, whether it was through hard work or, you know, inheritance or whatever, he would just give it all away or not even bring it in in the first place. Because at a subconscious level, he didn't believe that good people could also have all of this money. Very interesting. Um, that's powerful. Crazy. Yeah. 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 And those things, even though that's not my story, and it's one that's passed down from person to person to person, it's one that's just a really good example of how there was no ill will from any person in that story. And yet you can see how it would shape the way people think about individuals in different times. Now, if that doctor had come to collect a bill and that little girl hadn't passed away, Maybe that father would have reacted completely differently. You know, we don't really know. But because of all those circumstances stacking up the way they did, these were the assumptions that were being made and the presumptions, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Hmm. It's amazing. As you were sharing the story, I'm I, like all of a sudden, like two or three different like financial flashpoints in my own life just, just came to the surface. Like I... I feel like I'm remembering them as if they happened yesterday. Um, mm. And, and I'm trying, like now I'm trying to process through how those experiences have shaped decisions and, and I've made in, you know, my own behavior. Um, maybe it hasn't done anything, but now, now you have me thinking. <laughs> Would you like to unpack them today, Neo? <laughs> I'm kidding. 
for, for anecdotal purposes, I'd, I'd love to share just one, just to kind of like, what does that have to do with anything? But um, no, I think, I, you know, while there are like two or three that I'm thinking of, I also, something I say all the time, even before hearing the story and having these rush back to me is I share with people all the time. I'm just a blue collar kid from Buffalo, New York. I cannot believe where I've ended up. And, and, and it's because, I mean, for sure I was shaped by my dad was a small business owner, but he barely made any money that when my parents split, he couldn't afford an apartment and the shop that he was renting. So he slept in the shop. And, and so not that that was one of the, the the flashpoints, but it's things like that that I can I can start to reflect on. And I imagine if our you know our for our listeners, it, they they too thinking like, wow, okay, I can think of this thing that I heard or this thing that I experienced. And now you're probably wondering what decisions have I made or how have I behaved because of that experience, right? Yeah, there's even my own. Yeah, I was just going to say even some of my own story. I remember and I've shared this with a lot of my clients lately. I I may have shared it on the podcast before. I can't remember. But one of my very first memories of um, my parents, I was three years old and they were fighting so bad about money. Right. I was three years old Um, and just remembering the language that they used. And I took off and I hid in the house um, because I didn't want to listen to it anymore. But that same language, I remember hearing from three years old, clear through my life, right? And and um, as my kids, as I became a parent, I then started using that same language around my kids, right? Um, and so... I call them generational traumas. I'd never heard that that term financial flashpoints, but um, yeah, I've been very open when talking with kids, right? And talking with your children, how I think everybody does the best that they can do, but we pick up those little pieces, right? And, and my kids picked up those same words because I had heard them from my parents, right? And, and I had used them. So um, it's powerful, powerful stuff. What we pick up, what we hold on to, and then what we carry through, and how it really does shape. Because a lot of that created a lot of the scarcity mindset that I went through, and still have to work through in some areas of my life, even knowing everything that I know now. Sure, yeah, and it's uh, like I said, it's nothing that we've ever really can arrive from. You know, we're constantly learning and and practicing new things. I'd be curious though, Sarah, what are some of those words that you find yourself, uh, you know, helping your budgeteers either try to avoid or at least be aware of when it comes to talking to their kids? Words or phrases? Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have the money for that. We're broke. No, we Mm -hmm. can't afford that. Um, Those are the the big ones that come to mind. Um, We don't have enough for that. Mm-hmm. Those are words that come up over and over and over again. Yeah. And I think the reason that, you know, words are so important is because it it is the thing that just, it 
basically lays the foundation for how we think and what we believe about something. You know, it, it basically is like a mantra that's been said over and over and over. And, you know, anybody who knows anything about the subconscious mind, like if you want to tell yourself something, you play a script over and over and over, you know, uh, I think what people don't realize, and we hear, we hear ourselves talking to our children, but we forget that when we hear ourselves talking to ourselves, it has that mm. same effect. You know, we hear that over and over and over, and now we are starting to believe that thing. Uh, they're much along the lines of the, the whole flashpoints thing in Dr. Todd, or, um, or excuse me, Brad Plantz. He talks about money scripts. So that's the term that they use for mm. just ideas that we have about money. And uh, I'll read a couple of them to you. Uh, you'll notice that some of them you might have heard before, you can pick up on, and there's no judgment as to whether or not these are, quote, good or bad scripts. It's just something to be aware of. So um, it is hard to be poor and happy. Poor people are lazy. Money is power. You should always look for the best deal before buying something, even if it takes time. Money corrupts people. More money will make you happier. Rich people are greedy. So you hear how those, I mean, there's, I have a whole list of them, but I'm only reading a few on purpose. And I picked out a few that definitely contradict each other. Because it's just to let you know that all, they, all these scripts, they come from all different areas and we hear them from different ways. And, um, and that's super important for us to realize as well. I talk about words because, you know, back to Nino's original question about the, the the peace of mind fund or uh, the opportunity fund and such. I'm a strong believer in save for what you want, not what you want to avoid. And so when I was calling something an emergency fund on a regular basis, because that's what we're taught to call it. I mean, that just, it makes sense. So like, okay, yeah, this is a fund for emergencies. And I just kept calling it that. And I realized that I didn't feel really good about putting money aside for emergencies <laughs> because I mean, emergencies were going to happen inevitably, but it just didn't feel like it almost felt like I was inviting emergencies in, you know, cause oh, I've got money for you now. Why don't you come on over? And that didn't feel good. And so I don't really think, I really don't, I don't think that putting money aside for peace of mind versus an emergency fund mm -hmm. changes how often the emergencies are going to happen. Although it might, I don't know. It really started to change my excitement level for putting that money aside. It, it changed my motivation. It changed my willingness to be willing to put that money aside for something because I was excited about having some sense of peace of mind. That was exciting for me. Just like it was exciting to save for vacations. It was exciting to save for opportunities. And one of the things that was really important to me was not to follow the script of you have to have this much in your emergency fund first, and then you have to be entirely debt free, and then you have to do this and you have to do that. And I'm sure you know which script I'm talking about. Um, but the reason that bothered me so much is because I felt like there were many times that I would pass up an opportunity that I really didn't think I should be passing up. And because I hadn't saved any money for that opportunity, now I let that go. And I had always heard about opportunity cost when it comes to the scarcity side, but I had not really considered opportunity cost when it came to actually seizing those opportunities. So for me, that was super important. And I give my clients 100% permission to put a certain percentage aside specifically for opportunities so that when they are in a moment where an opportunity comes about, 
they can say, you know what, this is an opportunity I'm interested in seizing. I've done my due diligence. I have the money put aside for that. And I would like to do that and, and make that happen. So it's a lot more about intentionality than just a very prescribed formulaic approach to our personal finances. And I so love that because we, don't we all want just peace of mind with our money? Like, isn't that what we all want is just a, a sense of peace when we're talking about our income and our budgets and what our future looks like. And for our children, we all want to, I, I don't think I've ever talked with a person that didn't want some sense of peace mm -hmm. when surrounding um, their finances. And so having a peace of mind fund, I'm a big believer in the energy that we put out, right. And the words that we use. And I um, used the emergency fund term for many years and I have, completely adapted this peace of mind fund. So thank you for coining that. Thank you for bringing that to my attention because it has changed the way my clients look at their money. It's changed mm -hmm. the way I look at my money. Um, and it's the same account, but with a different name. It's incredibly powerful. Words are very, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. They certainly are. You know, it sounded like you were about to say something and I, I missed it. Oh, no, I was just saying there's so much to unpack there. Um, you know, just human behavior is obviously complex and why we do what we do. I think oftentimes as somebody who um, is self-aware enough to know that I needed help at one point, and so I sought help, um, sometimes we're not aware of why we do the things we do um, without going down like a a, a tangent. I I know that I struggled with anger for a long time and I needed to go get help for that. And then when I realized what was underneath that, what was the driving force, why it was, I did what I did and I said what I said and I thought what I thought. It was just, it was incredibly eye-opening. So Maria, as you were sharing, you know, uh, elements of that, yeah, I'm just kind of overrun with like, Oh yeah, like light bulb after light bulb after like oh right okay yeah that hmm so <laughs> that's and that's what it's like working with individuals you know when when they're they get this light bulb moment because they think that when they come to somebody like us they're going to just be asked to show their numbers and then when they find out about some of this they're like oh. Hey, could we just show you our numbers? Because that's way less vulnerable <laughs> than some of this stuff that you're talking about right now. Uh, but it's, even though it's less vulnerable, it's usually less impactful because it's less vulnerable. And, and it doesn't really help us see why we do what we do. And, and like I said, I mean, we're, we're never... I'm going to get to the actual bottom of why we do what we do. There's always going to be constant learning and, and discovery that's happening. Uh, but sometimes just just the simple questions and allowing someone like myself or like us to draw those connections, you know, connect those dots for people can be so, so powerful. I mean, I had a potential client uh, pretty recently, actually, who, um, you know, it was her and her husband, and they're very much not on the same page with money. Very, very young couple. They have a one-year-old daughter. And one of the things that she asked, well, I asked her was, you know, 
I take that back. I asked him first, you know, tell me a little bit about what you remember growing up with money, you know, just tell me. And so he told me some of his stuff and it was very, it was telling. Um, but I think because I had given her maybe, you know, g gave her a little bit of chance to think about it, maybe. But I think when I asked her, she did not hesitate. She told me exactly, like there was a very specific pointed uh, example that she had. I think that she would have been able to answer that quickly, even if I had asked her to go first. It seemed that top of mind for her. The scenario that she said, now, mind you, both of them have lost a parent. The, the young man had lost his father to a murder at work, and he had come into money because the, it happened in a corporation, so they were able to sue the corporation. So he came into money before he was of age. And then her mom recently passed, like within the last six months. And so her, her flashpoint, if you will, um, was that she remembered going somewhere with her mom. And it was like, I don't know if her mom was a housekeeper or what she had done, but she was in a very rich person's home, she said. And when they left that person's home, she said that she asked her mom if they could go to McDonald's. And her mom's response was, now, Put down your barriers for a second. Her mom's response was, no, we can't go to McDonald's. I have just enough money in my pocket for a pack of cigarettes. And that's what I'm going to spend it on. Now, when a lot of people hear that, they're like, what the heck kind of mother would say that to her kid? You know, <laughs> like one on a budget. <laughs> like, I mean, is that is that really any different than what we talk to our budgeteers about? No, we're like, hey, if you have this amount of money for this thing and this thing, you know, you can't go out, you can't do this. And she was just being very literal. Maybe she, uh, that was her blow money and she decided to blow it on cigarettes. And she was just very verbal about that with her kid. I'm not defending what the mom did, but I'm also not condemning what the mom did because she was just stating her fact out loud. But that young girl heard that and she implanted that in her soul. Okay. Not to ever really realize what had happened. So all I did was what you're doing right now. I just listened and I nodded. <laughs> I didn't even respond to a lot of what she was saying. Fast forward about 10 more minutes into the conversation and we were talking about something totally different. And I asked, what are some of the ways that you spend money now? I always like to try to get an idea of what people's habits are currently so that we know what works and what needs to be shifted. Well, her current habit, she said, was that she would use cash. And when she used cash, she would not spend any of that money. She refused to spend anything except for food. She would have no problem dropping as much as she needed to on food. And she had no idea why that was okay, but she refused to spend money on anything else. And I see your head's nodding because you are hearing that connection that I just totally set you up for, right? We were able to draw the connection that her mom had put something above food for her that, that she implanted in her soul as being more important than her. And then she was not willing to spend money on anything except for food. And it was just blow, like blowing it on food. It wasn't like she was taken to the grocery store and, you know, making sure she had a well-planned out budget and, and all of that and making her money dollar stretch. She meant like, I would have no problem dropping 50 bucks at, you know, on snacks at this location or whatever. 
because of that financial flashpoint for her. But she had not, even though she brought those two things up, she had not drawn the connection between those two dots until I was able to ask the right questions and have her say those two things out loud next to each other. And that aha moment was just like, it was, it was gold for her. Absolute gold. So those are the kinds of things that if we can just take a step back and not just go back. Don't, don't go, you know, for our listeners, don't go digging so deep that you're trying to, you know, make, make sense of every little thing that happened in your life. Cause that will take a really long time. But if there's something that comes to mind when someone says, tell me a memory you have, and you don't even really have to think about it. Then start asking yourself, what are some of the habits that I have right now? And maybe you can draw a connection. Maybe you can reach out to a financial coach or maybe you can reach out to a spouse and draw, help, help someone help you draw that connection. Because sometimes it's easier to see that which is not our own. You know, we can, we can look at a map a lot easier when we're not the one trying to get somewhere sometimes. So I like that analogy. I, I'm, you, you have me wondering... So one of my flashpoints that I, I was thinking about earlier is that um, I um, I got like a pager on my own. Now I'm dating myself, right? Because pagers, <laughs> when the heck did we have those? Um, I got a pager on my own, and I think it was like 11 bucks a month. But That actually seems was, kind of expensive. <laughs> I know. But, but it was one of those like cool, like the, 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 the side ones with the buttons. And, like it wasn't just like a top. Boop, 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 boop. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> yes, I mean, I say only, but this was in the 90s and I was a teenager. So, but it, the at the end of the day, I either managed money so poorly or whatever the case may be that I got behind on the bill. They shut off the page or I didn't have that anymore. And I think about like, what, if any impact has that had on me all these years later when it comes to like what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it starts with an R when you tell yourself you can have something, even when it's rationalized, when mm-hmm. I, when I rationalize a purchase or, or something, I I'm, I'm wondering if there's a link there. So you got me thinking and it's, it's incredible. Well, I think one of the ways that you can kind of draw that connection, you know, is to ask yourself not just what happened, but the proverbial, you know, how did you feel <laughs> when when that happened? Um, and I, I chuckle like that in the background because there's such a idea of, well, you know, if you're in therapy, everyone's going to ask you how you feel. Uh, but there really is something to that. If if you felt really great about it, then it's going to have a different impact than if you kind of felt like like a loser, you know, I mean, I'm not saying you were a loser, (laughs) but that would, that would definitely have an impact. So do you remember how you felt or do you, how do you feel now looking back on it? Either way, we'll give you some information. Yeah. Yeah. I think without going down the long, uh, tangential road, um, I, there was just a, there there was a repeated pattern in my late teens and early twenties of either getting in over my head or just not taking responsibility seriously enough. But then everything seemed to change dramatically. Um, when I moved in with my now wife at the time, girlfriend, and 
I just wouldn't pay anything late and everything got paid on time because I think there was a, a sense of, I think loser is the right word, you know, like, Oh, I'm such a loser. I can't even pay my bills or cause it happened with the, uh, uh, with the pager. But now I remember it happening with a cell phone as well. And there, at one point I had to take a repossession on a car because I was mismanaging money or just not taking care of responsibilities. But boy, did that all change on a dime and, and maybe I like we're not going to take the time today to unpack it, but I wonder if I overcorrected, right? Like if there's if there's like an overcorrection to, well, now I don't want to get on in over my head. Like we've thought about moving a couple of times, selling the house and and you know upgrading or whatever, and I just won't allow myself to do it because I thought for other reasons, and those other reasons are still very valid. But I wonder if this subconscious reason was also playing out like Nino you've gotten yourself in over your head before you were irresponsible you're in a good position why would you jeopardize it Mm -hmm. I really like the word overcorrect there Uh, Mm. I think it's something that we oftentimes do and and I I don't think I've ever used that word in that context but I really like it I might just start using it Um, I also I oftentimes talk about all or nothing thinking and Mm -hmm. so I think that that very much goes with the overcorrection you know if indeed you talk about not wanting to be a loser again if that word really did resonate with you and you're like I don't want to be that loser it sounds to me like you might have missed out on some opportunities that were there out of fear of becoming a loser again. And so I would see that being the overcorrection or swinging the pendulum too far the other way and and not recognizing that, okay, that that didn't make you a loser. So so maybe reframe that in a way that is still true and yet more productive. So, you know, I, I was an irresponsible child who didn't know better and has now learned how to make different choices, right? So yeah. as you are as you are identifying some of those opportunities that are there for yourself, ask yourself which ones are responsible that you can still be within, you know, the the person that you are to your wife and to your children. I mean, which now is I'm assuming your provider for them. And that's why you completely overcorrected because you're like I always want to be provider. Is it possible to be those things at the same time, can you be a provider who once in a while takes risks in pursuit yeah. of opportunity that will then provide for them even more? Yep. Yeah. I mean, you, you absolutely nailed it. This is why you're so good at what you do. I mean, I'm also an easy patient. But, uh. <laughs> you are very open and willing to hear feedback and you're willing to be vulnerable. That's one thing I've, I've always enjoyed our conversations because of that. So it, you're right. Uh, that I'd love to say that it was all me, but it's so not, uh, you absolutely are, are a very coachable coach, which I, which I love. Um, cause not, not everybody is, it's just not how it all works. Uh, but that is one thing as you guys are listening today to keep in mind that this is not stuff that necessarily comes easily. And it's certainly not something that's going to be the answer to all of your problems either. It's really just, it's, it's kind of like fact finding, you know, you're, you're just kind of trying to figure out what is this piece here and what's this piece here. And eventually you're going to put together a pretty 
kick-ass puzzle, but right now you might just be looking at a few broken pieces and not really knowing how they all fit together. Don't stop finding those pieces, though, because that's it's, it can be really scary and vulnerable, but that those are the pieces that are most important, I think. I always say it's gathering the data. <clears throat> you know, you're just collecting these, collecting the, the data, and it allows you the insights that maybe this is an area that I can look at, that this is where the, the habits can start changing, right? This is where I can start mm -hmm. making some different choices. This is where I can start using different language with myself and changing my own narrative, changing the own, my own story that I've been telling myself for years. And maybe it hasn't even been out loud, right? Maybe it's been replaying over and over and over again in your head, but um, I always encourage people to start speaking it out loud because when you actually speak it out loud, you hear it differently. Mm -hmm. And so you have the ability to use this data and then start speaking your story differently out loud. And um, I'll tell a, a story that I'm sure I've shared on a previous episode. I share it very freely now, and it still um, is very emotional for me because um, thinking back to that story of, um, that you shared with um, the, the young girl and her mom and, you know, the, the cigarettes versus going out and grabbing a bite to eat. One area that I've said that, that I regretted the biggest regret I had in, in our financial journey of becoming debt free and getting on a budget and having more control over our money and our spending habits was my kids would ask to go and get ice cream. Their big indulgence was ice cream. And how many times I told them, no, nope, we can't afford it. Nope, don't have the money for it. Nope. And I remember even on vacations, um, and I'm tearing up. I know maybe most people um, are not able to see this, but even on vacations, it used to cause this huge argument between my husband and I because he you know, I'm like, we're on vacation. Let's go and get an ice cream. And, you know, he started adapting, right? And, and taking on that same language. Nope, no ice cream. We don't need ice cream every day. No, 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 right? And looking back that the opportunity cost of that was that I missed out on some memories with my kids. That I could have changed the language. I could have looked at why I was saying that, what was really going on. That we didn't have to go every day, but it could have been, a dollar cone through McDonald's drive-through, right? That I could have allowed myself to spend that time with my children. And now passing that along, I've had, I've since had the conversation with them. Um, so we're good on the ice cream, you know, now, but that <laughs> is the area, but, but food and, and them allowing themselves to run through a drive-through or to do that they've adopted that now in their own lives that they've allowed themselves to make those choices. Right. And it's okay. And they don't, they don't cut themselves down for making those choices that um, it's just looking at those stories and the language that we use, um, how powerful it is and how much it shapes who we are. And it's never too late to use some of that to make a change going forward either, right? Um, and to use it in a positive way. And I do get emotional because I think something's so simple, but it wasn't simple at the time. Um, 
And if anybody can take anything from that story is that just because you used to do it, you don't have to keep doing it, right? You can change your story. You can start speaking it out loud. And it now becomes, it has a different meaning going forward. Agreed. You know, I agree so much with that, that I actually integrate that idea into working with my clients. Um, a lot of times when when people separate their categories into things like housing and food and transportation, it becomes very sterile and very black and white and very um, rigid. And I think that rigidity is one of the things that just keeps people from keeping their commitments behaviorally. Um, and so my, my whole thing is intentionality over rigidity. You know, let's be intentional with something, but we don't have to be rigid with it. And part of the way that I help people set that up is we don't necessarily do food and housing and transportation <laughs> as our categories, at least when we're, when we're talking about it at like at a 30 foot level, um, I have five categories that I, that I have adopted and sort of created that I work with people with. And, um, those categories are there, um, I'm trying to think essentials, indulgences, making memories, paying it forward and legacy investments. So with those, then people can, all of those different things, the housing, the food, the transportation, all of those can fall into several of those different categories. And it helps them to realize overall, what is it that they're trying to do with their life? How do they want to be remembered? Uh, you know, what impact are they trying to make for individuals? What memories are they wanting to make? And what it does is it gives some really intentional permission to not wait until they have $400 to go to Dairy Queen because that's about what it costs right now for a family of six. I know because we've <laughs> gone through the drive-thru at Dairy Queen and it feels like it's $400 for a family of six. Um, but not to wait until they have all that, but to allow themselves, okay, here's how much we want to actually dedicate to making memories. And if that is just a little bit right now, then we can go through the McDonald's dollar cone drive through And if it's more, we can put that money towards vacations. It just, it allows for you to be in alignment with your values at that point. And I think for me, that's just so much more important, especially if you're dealing with somebody who has some of this past trauma, um, trauma with a little T, you know, uh, with their money and, and what they heard. And um, I will tell you, Sarah, that it was super impactful to hear you talk about you being three, uh, hearing your parents fight, mm -hmm. because I have a three-year-old right now. And if you had asked me, I mean, she's my fourth child, so it's not like she's our first. And But still, if you had asked me five years ago, if a three-year-old would be able to remember something, mm -hmm. I would have been like, no way. I mean, I have horrible, horrible memory anyway. Um, so I don't remember anything before I was like five or six. I know even that's just mm -hmm. a couple memories. Um, but I see my current three-year-old and that child, she's so with it that I'm like, oh, I could see her throwing me under the bus in about 15 years about all of the things <laughs> right. that we did and said when she was three years old. Um, mm -hmm. So thank you for that reminder that they are watching, they're listening, <laughs> and later on they're going to talk about it on the podcast. So um, <laughs> They will. <laughs> they will. <laughs> oh, so anyway, I mean, I hope all of that was helpful in terms of what it is that, you know, where does some of this craziness come from and, and how do we – how do we even apply it to what we do, uh, you know, with, with our own personal finance? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think we were only able to scratch the tip of the iceberg, but I think it was a, a great start to a conversation that is important. And that is just recognizing what influences you may have experienced throughout your life that have you behaving in a very specific way now. Yeah. And I think we shared some really great um, stories and examples of what that could look like that I trust that our listeners are now processing and kind of thinking, well, wow, okay, I didn't realize, like, it was easy for me to think about this, that, or the other incident, and maybe like myself wondering, but how has that influenced what I'm doing now? And with that said, I then would encourage our listeners to continue the conversation by going to the show notes or going to newmoneyhabits.com and scheduling some time to talk to one of the coaches, whether that's Sarah, Maria, myself, or another New Money Habits coach. Um, you know, I, I trust that, uh, Maria, your inbox is going to be flooded with uh, <laughs> people wanting to to dig a little bit deeper. But uh, I, I cannot thank you enough for uh, carving out a little bit of time for us today and spending it with us and, and just kind of starting, like I said, starting to unpack. This is, we could go on you know, a couple of diff different episodes with this particular topic, but I think it was a great start to really illuminate the idea that we we're not here today in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. We are a collection of our experiences and now we are behaving either in, you know, really um, wise and, and discernful ways and, and sometimes in really foolish ways because of those experiences. Mm -hmm. And also we're not predetermined. You know, our, our destiny is not predetermined. We actually do have a say and we can't control everything obviously, uh, but we do have a say in how we react to things. And there may be some activating events that we are completely out of control with, uh, but the way that we think about something and the way we behave will help to shape our consequences going forward. So, um, you know, that, that is not to, meant to be um, admonishing. It's actually meant to be hopeful that we are not victims of circumstance. We actually do have some say in where, where mm -hmm. we end up. So, yeah. I love that. Excellent. Well, thank you again for taking the time to hang out with us today. I think this was uh, a really interesting uh, dive into all of the habits and behaviors stuff. So thank you again. And uh, we will continue this conversation next time. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Maria. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the New Money Habits podcast brought to you by New Money Habits and Keeping Up with the Joneses Financial Coaching. Submit your questions to our hosts by emailing podcast at newmoneyhabits.com. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Join our growing group of like-minded people on Facebook and follow us on your favorite platform. Music provided by Summer School.